this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have on our life, our work and our travel uh, over recent decades. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both for me and for my interviewees from around the world. Today we will be talking to Gronja Lynch who is a specialist in serialization and supply chain traceability. Uh, with the multinational professional services company Accenture. In this role, uh, Gronje helps businesses um, with their supply chain so that they can see better where material has come from and where products are going. And I hope we can uh, shine some more light into this complex, te technical yet fascinating area uh, briefly. Gronje has been involved in this area for many years, most recently with ESP Enterprise Systems Partners until its acquisition by Accenture. Previously to that, Gronje has been a lecturer and consultant with stints at the European Commission, the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport, the Cork Institute of Technology and the Port of Cork. Welcome, Gronje, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thanks very much, Patrick. Uh, great, great session. Actually, the the way you describe interlinks, it's a, uh, it's great. Everything is multifaceted these days. So delighted to be here with you. Great to have you. Uh, so just to kick off, then, could you give us a brief overview of your career uh, to date and your main responsibilities in your uh, in your current role? Sure, um, Patrick. Thanks for the for, for that. Um, so I've a technical background actually. Um, just in in terms of my education, I have a, a bachelor of science in software development and computer networking. Mm -hmm. So that means that I understand how data gets exchanged from one place to another, um, how uh, through through um, co through cables or, or over um, radio frequency. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand telecommunications and, and all that sort of stuff. So that was pretty, uh, that's a pretty handy background to have. And I have a master's in electronic engineering, which is a, um, was the first uh, step for me to go from science into engineering. But because of the, the nature of that uh, data comms technical degree, it, that was that was allowed and sanctioned for the first time by the Cork Institute of Technology for, for me to go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. So very technical background. Um, I um, spent a good few years as a software developer. I wrote software for different types of industries and I actually spent a bit of time writing um, different kinds of things. I wrote code on handheld devices for parking enforcement people. So anybody who got a ticket in the, 90, <laughs> in the early 2000s <laughs> in Monaghan or uh, Kildare <laughs> or Cork would have been, uh, had that ticket printed by a piece of software that I wrote as part of uh, company I was working for. I also wrote uh, some software to help people give people their uh, tax rebate back on sales that uh, that they would have uh, bought, you know, tourists traveling to Ireland, say, would have been able to claim tax rebate oh, and yes, systems yes, to do yes. that. So everything around that. But then I, I actually ended up kind of nearly accidentally falling into an area where I was working for a boutique consult consultancy called the Nautical um, Nautical Enterprise Systems and a very small company. I, I started working for them and as a software developer and I grew through that role into sort of more of a project manager type of person uh, and skill set. And we were, we were um, primarily working for the European Commission on various different types of uh, supply chain and um, 
transport projects. Mm -hmm. So that gave me the window into how supply chains work, how maritime transport works primarily, and how that links into other different modes of transport, such as uh, roll road, sorry, and rail systems, and also um, expediting via air. So that that really opened up that world to me. I didn't really know an awful lot about it until I started working for that company. Um, and also to be in a position where we were consultants in that space, getting access to absolutely a, a stunning array of very senior companies, very developed companies and very senior people within those companies was really interesting. So I suppose what I did was really I went from networking systems and connecting data mm -hmm. to connecting people and developing systems then that helps to connect people and transport and logistics. And so that's pretty much where I am now and just continuing continuing along those lines um, as part of Accenture. Yeah, and in, in the intro, we spoke about supply chain and we spoke about serialization. So maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit about those sure. concepts now. So as you said, your, your area is quite technical and specialized. Although the term supply chain as a consequence of Brexit and COVID, you know, in the last couple of years, especially, it's now kind of commonly heard in the mouths of politicians and journalists and TV presenters and all of that. But what exactly is this supply chain concept? And could you give us an example of how it impacts on our everyday lives, all of us? Sure. So that's actually um, a great question, to be honest, because yeah, um, the it is it is really kind of quite important. So supply chain describes to me anyway, describes where our products, the products that we use on an everyday basis from our breakfast cereals, the food that we consume to the products that we use um, as part of our everyday, like maybe some of the, the products in the kitchen, where those you know, food products and electronics products, where they come from, how are they, how are they both built from the start mm -hmm. of the product and where it's come from? So if in the case of food, where is that food produced? What, on what, if that's say milk going into your breakfast cereal, where is that milk where are the cows grazed? Where is the milk produced? Where is the milk processed? How is it, uh, how is it changed as part of the process of manufacture? And how is it packaged? And how is it distributed into retail, into basically into the warehouses and the various different shops? And how does it then come from the shop and arrive onto your breakfast table? That entire process from um, sourcing the the milk to manufacture and distribution and arriving into a shop so that you can buy it or so someone can buy it in the shop. Um, that enc that encompasses to me the, the physical supply chain of that product. Mm -hmm. And as long as well as that, when we're considering, let's say how milk gets from, from farm to table, it's also all the different things that you might consider around that, such as, you know, making sure that the quality of the milk is okay. If it's, um, if it is to, so what else now, the, how the product is, you know, the, the control and accounting that needs to go on yeah, within, within go, all yeah, of that yeah, and yeah. all the information. Yeah. So there's three things to consider within a supply chain. There's a physical movement of the product. There is the information that is related to that milk product, such as the quality of the milk or the, the, you know, the temperature to keep it cold during it, 
during when it's been moved and produced. And also there's the, the payment type of information that's that happens. So um, who, how does the farmer get paid? When do they get paid? How is manufacturing done? And when does the retailer, um, how does the retailer get get the money and, and how, how how does the money flow for that product so i've used milk as a fairly fairly understandable hopefully yeah. example there but you can understand how this can get really complicated if you've got something like an electronics piece of goods where there's a there's a number of different components that go into making it so things get really complicated when it comes to supply chain and as you asked there a lot of folks are using that uh, that the terminology supply chain when it comes to Brexit and to COVID-19 because any changes in how things move or how things are produced or, um, or sourced, change causes potentially causes delays. So when we see delays and interruptions and in how things are moved around the place, it tends to impact. And what we've seen at the early times of COVID, say in March, we saw shortages in terms of food, um, things like eggs and, and flour in March weren't, were rationed in some stores. And, and so we see that that kind of change to when, when things happen like Brexit and COVID tend to have a knock on effect in terms of how supply it, it runs through. Um, runs through so it just we see we see that interruption on a daily basis um yeah. since march and it, it's brought the terminology into uh, into the public forum now um and hopefully anyway that's kind of shared uh, that definition somewhat has shared uh my understanding of how what a supply chain is yeah. and it's, it's surprising as well sometimes we don't appreciate and the, the milk example is very good because it's one we can get our head around because it's kind of here we can see the fields and we can see all of this around us so it's a supply chain that's kind of contained within uh, our geography um i've come across situations recently that people sometimes maybe don't appreciate fully say you've got a factory in ireland and it's making some sort of medicine the supply chain for that factory is likely to be global. So I, I came across a case um, recently, a factory where their active ingredient was coming from India. And when COVID hit, uh, there was an export ban put on basically everything and included in that was their active ingredient. And all of a sudden then you have a factory in Ireland facing a possible shutdown of production lines because of a decision that's happening in India. And that's the kind of complexity that we see now in international supply chains. Uh, you're absolutely right there, Patrick. And there is, especially with as well as, as as India, but also with China. So over the Christmas time last year and early January, there was an awful lot of disruption within the supply chain because an awful lot of components that go into either our finished goods or even some of our um, consumer goods consumer electronics products are sourced and manufactured in China. And so there was disruption to a lot of those supply chains mm -hmm. um, starting in January. Um, and it's interesting, just simply depending on where products are actually sourced from, um, you may have different supply chain disruptions due to COVID-19, for example, depending on where products are coming from and depending on the shutdowns within those local jurisdictions. So um, understanding how to build, and there's an awful lot of terminology as well around the, the concept of resiliency within supply chain. So what we mean by that is to what extent a, a, that factory that you mentioned that was sourcing product from India, to what extent that factory could continue manufacturing um, given a delay or a, or a, or a 
a very long delay in the product coming into them. And it sounds like because there was a shutdown that they were not able to source that product from any other different place. Mm -hmm. So building resilience means maybe sourcing products from more than one location, or certainly if you're not going to do that, assessing the risk associated or maybe even the cost associated with um, being able to get the products into your manufacturing or into your facility from more than one location. And another technical term that we mentioned in the intro, which is not heard so much in in uh, in, in in the media and so on, is this term serialization. So again, what, what what is that? And could you give an example of how uh, its importance manifests itself in our lives day to day? Because I know it does as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, I could talk forever about this. <laughs> Serialization is not a new term. Um, it, it really just means uniquely putting a code on something. So we have serial numbers on everything. You know, if you lift up, like I'm, I'm sitting at my computer here now, and maybe people are listening to the radio even, um, like there will be a serial number on your radio. And there has been serial numbers in the electronics industry for 20 years easily. Mm. Um, The serial number on them might be, let's say, um, a couple of digits and a couple of numbers in in length. And if you have a problem with that product, with that radio, with that, with my laptop, for example, I could return that to the manufacturer and they'll be able to understand where that product came from and figure out maybe what, if there was a number of different radios being returned to them at the same time and they're all uniquely identified with their serial number, they might be able to figure out what was, you know, was there a problem with the with those radios or what, what the issue might be again maybe some component part of that radio might have been at fault when the the term serialization when i use it in in terms of my experience in the pharmaceutical industry is related to uniquely identifying each and every prescription pharmaceutical product um, so that if I go into a pharmacy in the morning and I have a, a script, a prescription from my doctor and I get a product, there's a new code on that product. And that code is generally square in nature and it's got lots of dots. It's a 2D data matrix. And that code can be scanned and should be scanned by the pharmacist prior to giving it to me. Mm-hmm. And it will check that that product is authentic. So what that's doing is it's not just uniquely identifying the product, which is the same as what we have have in electronics for radios, but there is a requirement for that pharmacist to actually do a check before giving that product to me um, as a as someone who needs that pharmaceutical product. So I just take just take uh, an something that you know a lot uh, i know i've gotten multiple times which is maybe um, an antibiotic um and that antibiotic um, a couple of years back might not have had this code on it but since 2019 within ireland in the eu every single pharmaceutical product for sale for sorry that has been manufactured needed to have that code on it so um, I'm seeing that nearly every time now that I go into the pharmacist, I see this this kind of square code. So it has to be authenticated. So what that's doing is it's giving an additional layer of um, confidence that the product that the, the patient is going to be taking is authentic. And it is 
and it's genuinely where it's coming from. So a protection it, it, against counterfeiting. In, 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 exactly. It's primarily against counterfeit. Okay. Yeah. And then we, we hear about um, blockchain or distributed ledger technology that, you know, many people will kind of associate that maybe more with Bitcoin, but it has really uh, real and practical applications in assuring the integrity of supply chains, like you've just been describing there, the supply chain of medicines. Sure. So what's the, what's the current state of play with regard to practical application of blockchain technology in the supply chain? Well, actually, that's a really broad question, but it's a really great question. So, um, um, so this, there's so many different kinds of supply chain, and we've touched on a couple of them now. You know, from milk to radios mm. to, to medicines, <laughs> and so it really depends the, the the practical applications of how you might use a distributed technology, distributed ledger technology within a supply chain depends on a number of different factors, like where like typically the the type of product area. So distributed ledger technology in supply chain, it allows for a couple of different things to be achieved. Um, it helps with um, it. It helps with contracts. It helps with visit. It helps with traceability of the product. So let's just take um, something that is very often, you know, um, maybe subject to counterfeit, like the medicines example. A blockchain or a distributed ledger technology might be put to use to help medicines in places where there it's very common to that maybe counterfeit or theft tends to occur mm-hmm. um, because the the idea of it is that um, th- that technology can be used to, to help verify product to create um, a link between all the different um, organizations that touch the product as it moves through as it moves through that supply chain, as the manufacturers make it, as the as it moves through warehousing and distribution and into retail and into and into um, pharmacies, for example, in the case of of medicine, so that the idea being then in a supply chain that every organization or every entity that has something to do with that product can make a record of the fact that they have touched the product in some mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. and that can be recorded in a, in in a blockchain or in a ledger and nobody can change that so the idea of a blockchain is that it's the word immutable is used a lot which basically means that if someone records a piece of information and says that 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 medicine was handled by me mm-hmm. at a particular point in time that nobody can delete that information. Yeah, so it's, impo- that, that, it's impossible or virtually impossible to hack. Virtually impossible, so programmatically yeah. impossible yeah. to delete. Yeah. Now, what is what? So, I often ask myself, well, what's the use of that? So, the use of that is maybe in proving that something actually happened. So, you have something physical. So, number of different ways. You've got something physical in front of you. I've got a piece of some medicine in front of me and it's a life and death medicine. And that in order to absolutely know that this is the correct medicine, um, that it's come from the correct source, if that piece, that medicine is backed up with um, with some technology to help that reassurance, then, you know, it, it makes things easier. Right. So it makes it, it, it improves the trust and confidence in that product. And blockchain is just a piece of technology that assure that that assists with that. Mm. And it's 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 different to what we've had before because it allows for different 
what we call, you know, di different organizations can record information about how they've touched that product. They can do it in the same way. And it set up, sets up, you know, because this is, a, you know, actually blockchain isn't the easiest thing to explain. No, no. <laughs> but I'm seeing that it's getting more and more prevalent within supply chain, within really critical medicines area. Yeah. And it's being required, especially in the in America, actually, yeah. to, to, to be put in place. As, as I was putting together these questions for you and thinking about them and thinking about the day that's in it, of course, I was thinking, you know, great challenge we seem to have now facing uh, COVID is we have this inability to trace effectively where the infections are taking place uh, precisely. And as a result, we're ending up having to apply these uh, blunt instruments of blanket lockdowns. So we're probably going to have another one announced yeah. uh, today. So do you think these these concepts and these technologies um, have a role to play in the management of, of this uh, pandemic or potentially other pandemics in the future to help us to do a better job of, of knowing where exactly the, uh, the infection is coming from? Yeah, I do. So there's quite a lot in that. So let's unpack it a small bit. So when it comes to, let's say, let's just take it uh, w one single uh, perspective just for now. The COVID-19, our, our physical, we're being physically limited in terms of our movement and we're being locked down as individuals because we're carrying this virus and we're spreading it to each other. If we had some way of assuring um, each other that we weren't carrying the COVID-19 virus, then there should be no reason that we couldn't move as we wish. A blockchain solution could be extremely helpful when it comes to sharing information about me as an individual, because in, in a way, a blockchain only allows information that's pertinent to other people to be shared. So um, I could share the fact that I am... Um, you know, not carrying this virus, if that if I had a test to prove that I wasn't uh, carrying the virus, that information about the fact that I was virus free could be shared without sharing <clears throat> my name, for example. So only the pertinent information could be shared, which could enable me to move freely. And this is a really important concept it when you, it comes to international your, travel. It gives you power over your own data in a way, doesn't it? It gives us power over the, sharing the sharing potentially what what I've heard called a um, a digital a digital health passport. Mm -hmm could be implemented in <clears throat> in a blockchain or a distributed ledger technology mm. so that um, a, date, a version of my passport, my, my passport and your passport, it doesn't have any way to carry information about our health. Yeah. But if we digitize our passports and add additional information in there um, with regard to, say, you know, where I've been physically been previously, where if whether or not I uh, got a COVID nineteen test, the results of that COVID nineteen test, um, have I you know survived? Have I come through a COVID nineteen situation? Uh, do as are antibodies present? A number of different statuses about the health, my own health, could be pertinent to how I physically move, mm. and may be relevant to an authority if I wanted to say travel to. Um, New Zealand or America, mm. there, it could be shared, you know, with per, with permissions and the right controls yeah. in place. Shared that kind control, of information yeah. could okay. be shared with those authorities. So, if you so, cast your mind forward, say 
10 years? I know this is an impossible question, but if these concepts and technologies came to be used to best effects, what do you think the world in 2030 would look like then using these technologies? So I would like to think, Patrick, that um, and I kind of do think that the technologies themselves are um, they're changing really rather quickly mm. and they're really enabling people to communicate better, to move thing, move products more efficiently throughout the world, throughout uh, globally. And they're allowing better communication. Now, I mean, I'm not... Um, I'm just thinking about supply chain here. What I would like to see and how I would imagine things and how I've seen things move in the last 10 or 20 years is that there is better communication between different organizations for exchanging goods throughout the supply chain. So we can put sensors on on international maritime transport. We know where containers are throughout the world. We can see things moving in, in, in flights. We can understand when a, our product is going to be delivered by a car- by a um, by a, a delivery um, organization, mm-hmm. you know we can we know when our uh, when our um, online orders are going to arrive. So already we can see much more technology in the supply chain. And what I see it is is that that information is going to be increasingly connected. So um, we're going to be able to, I think be more efficient about the use of technology so that we, and this is how I'd like to see it, we shouldn't need to build any more roads. What we need to do, and we shouldn't need potentially any more cars. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't necessarily need any more trucks. What we need to do is use the resources that we already have, those physical transport assets more efficiently and we can do so with technology if we share the right types of information at the right time. So in 2030, what I'd like to see is a better use of transport related related assets so that we can do a couple of things. There's no more roads, we can um, we can have fuller, you know, better utilization in, in transport assets such as trucks and, and ships. Um, reduce the number of trips taken to deliver something um, and that we can actually really start to absolutely curb some of the um, some of the the negative impacts of transport which is our our carbon dioxide emissions yeah, so I, I shouldn't so have I'd, I shouldn't have four refuse trucks coming into my cul-de-sac every day right? <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't and the thing is like I mean those four refuse trucks uh, <laughs> I mean, what what would what would the benefit to them to be to work together? I mean, those refuse trucks cost a fortune to run, and they're not going to be the uh, optimizing those refuse trucks will be the result will actually yield the profit to those refuse yeah, companies. Yeah. It's the it's the basically the sweating of that. It's like a, a, a blending of competition and cooperation, isn't it? Which is yeah. which is difficult, isn't it? It's easy to say. It is difficult. It's difficult, easy difficult to say. To yeah. I mean, you asked me about an ideal world, and <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to those refuse trucks, that's an excellent example. And also once it comes to um, ships moving throughout the world, you know, and the fact that they're not necessarily even they're not necessarily even close to 70 percent utilized for some of those journeys, Um, you know, 
the concept of full truckload, especially. Mm. So if you've got technology and assets, how can you make those work together to make things more efficient? When, when it, you know, even 10 years ago, when we had the, you know, the global recession, we did have an awful lot of cargo sharing on ships, which Mm. basically meant that some ships were put, put out into the sea and left, just left there for a small while until, until the things got busy again. Um, you had concepts of slow steaming and slowing things mm. down in order to save on fuel. So what do we need in order to do that? There's, I mean, there's an awful lot of um, political um, pressure and, and people pressure required to do that. But I think that the technology absolutely has a part to play in making things a little bit more efficient. So I'd like to think that the world will have more more digital communication and transformation, but a lot more electric um, and that we just will have less movements of stuff and more efficient movements. And that's going to be really difficult given, given, you know, the rise in e-commerce, et cetera. There's a lot of challenges in that space, but I I do think we're going to have to actually have to move in that direction. Yeah. Let's hope, let's hope we do. All all right, Grania, we're going to have to leave it there for today. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and many thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement business strategies that deliver, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye and keep well until next time. Music.